Luke, awesome to see you. I'm glad you're here for this one. Luke sent me an encouraging uh, comment on um, YouTube last night, which was really nice to get a... If you ever want to send me an encouraging comment on YouTube, feel welcome. Sorry? No, I get enough of those. Yeah. It's surprising, the, the most uh, abusive comments I get are on the uh, sermons that I preach when I preach about Jesus being God. And the abuse comes from Christians who claim he's not God. And I say, you must be a Jehovah Witness. And they say, no. You must be a Christian Christian. No. You must be in the New Age. No. <laughs> oh, you, how did you come to this? And they just, you know, come to it from reading the scriptures. They believe Jesus isn't God. And there's no such thing as a Trinity. Who sees the Trinity all through the New Testament? Yeah? Is it pretty obvious? Baptize them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Like, you know, you know if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. I and the Father are one, etc., etc. And the Spirit's considered not a force. It's Considered, considered, considered a um, person very clearly. The Spirit said to them, or the Spirit is, comes as a counsellor. A force doesn't come to counsel you, does it? No, a force, a, 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 a person comes to counsel you. So this is a sermon on witnessing to atheists. Who enjoyed the video last week? Yeah? Um, the few of you that are, were here, we had a really amazing video. You can watch it online. It's called The Atheist Delusion. And it's by Ray Comfort and Living Waters Ministries. And if you watched that video, you would have seen a sequence of questions and explanations that Ray Comfort used to bring an atheist from, firstly, from atheism to theism, and then from theism to Christianity. And it was quite moving, wasn't it? Because by the end, you're seeing these people that started off with quite harsh faces, hard faces, or even mocking faces turning to Jesus Christ and it was a really powerful thing I was actually you know I was getting quite moved when I watched it because you're seeing people giving their hearts to Jesus for the first time they're seeing the light and they're you know so if you get a chance watch the video because it'll it'll explain what I'm about to go through really clearly so that when you get an opportunity to to reach someone who's an atheist and you might know plenty you can actually try what I'm a about to present out you can sit down with them and even have some notes and say look I've got some notes here just for your benefit and work through a series of questions and help them to see that you know firstly that there is a God and that uh, you know that atheism is, is ridiculous it's foolishness and then of course if there is a God then we're accountable to that God and if we're accountable we're all sinners deserving eternal condemnation and if that's the case what did God do? He sent Jesus Christ, and it all fitted together for them. So that's what I wanted to present you to you today. So now in this, what it, as I went through it, I, I wrote down things that Ray Comfort, quite a lot of what Ray Comfort was saying in his progression, but also added a lot of my own stuff in. I couldn't tell you where it is anymore because I've added and, you know, so I've just put together a whole um, presentation for you. I didn't get right through to the end of the video because it took absolute ages to do it. Um, but I'm through to the point where you can get someone to at least confess faith in God or to believe in God. So I want you to take copious notes. If you've got your camera, take stills as we go along. But firstly, before I really dive into it, why witness? Why witness? Firstly, what is witnessing? Who's got a good explanation? Telling people about Jesus? Yeah, Bill? Yeah, beautiful. Beautiful. 
from the witness himself over here. Like, um, Bill, Bill, I was going to get you up here to tell us how to break into all sorts of conversations with people because I've never seen someone do it so easily and people not get offended. So um, we might do a seminar where Bill guides us into how to break into conversations. You know, um, you know how you got guys that you know, want to learn uh, one-liners to pick up girls? This is one-liners to break into conversations to get people to Jesus. Bill's got them all. He's, he's uh, amazing to watch in action. Um, and I'm going to actually probably milk you for him in a sense. I'm going to write down all the different ways you've used and I'll get you to sort of explain it to me and I might even present him on his behalf if he doesn't want to do it because he is a master at doing it. Where, we need, where you, Bill needs work in though and all of us who have... Uh, who try to reach people for Jesus is how do we bring them all the way over and get them to repent? How do we get them to repent? So it's all well and good telling them and convincing them that God is real. But if they don't repent, do they receive salvation? No. So this is what I found intriguing about Ray Comfort. I've watched a lot of Ray Comfort videos in the past, and, and in the past I didn't see him get them to repentance. He tried to just about come out and tell them straight off, you know, uh, he, he would do the good test as the opening line. Who knows what the good test is? Are you a good person? And the person will go, yes, I'm a good person. Have you ever told a lie? Yes, I have. Have you ever looked upon a woman with lust in your eyes? Yes, I have. And he, and he goes on asking those sort of questions. And then he says, well, you're a liar, you're a thief, you're a blasphemer, and et cetera, et cetera. Now, is that, that's a good way to get someone's back up, I think. Um, but I don't think it's an effective way to help them to realize that God exists. Because if you don't believe God exists, you don't care if you're a good or a bad person as well. Do you know what I mean? You say, yeah, I'm a thief, I'm a blasphemer. Whoopie-doo, I've got no God to answer to, so what does it worry me? So starting at that point, which is where a lot of street preachers start. Who knows there were street preachers in Adelaide that were walking around with, and, and causing huge amount of... Um, uh, you know, getting a people's back up really, really big time in Adelaide. And um, people were saying, you don't have anything to do with that group, do you? And we've had people come to this church who are actually associated with that group, would you believe? They didn't stay long. But um, it's interesting that their approach was, as people walking past, is you're a dirty, rotten scoundrel. You're a dirty, rotten sinner. And people were, well, you know, do I really need to hear that right now? I'm trying to trying to go to lunch, have a pleasant lunch, and you're telling me I'm a dirty, rotten scoundrel, a dirty, rotten sinner. You know, it's hard enough to hear it in church. You know what I mean? Let, let to get told it in Rundle Mall. And is that the approach that we should take? Is that the approach that the disciples took? Or did the disciples try to convince them of the truth first? And then, once the truth is revealed and the light flicks on, then reveal to them that they need. All right, so should we witness? Should we be telling people about Jesus? Yeah? Well, let's have a look. We are commissioned to. That's the first thing. Matthew 28, 19 to 20, if we can turn there. By the way, what I'm, what I'm starting today is a series of sermons on witnessing. I'll be doing a few on witnessing to atheists because atheism is huge in, in uh, cities all around the world at the moment, especially in the Western civilization. It's, there's a movement called neo-atheism. And what you've got now is atheists who are militant. And what that means is atheists who want to convert you to atheism. They're starting churches. 
They're starting churches of atheism, you know? And they sing Beatles songs and stuff like that. And instead of singing Shout to the Lord, they sing Shout to the Void. You know, there's, there's all this sort of... They're, they're copycatting the church, but they're, they don't believe in God. So they're, they're coming together, you know, to rejoice, you know, being alive and being fellow humans, but they're not coming together for a purpose in God. So their teachings are all motivational, encouraging stuff. And a lot of people are falling into it because they're thinking, well, I come in there, I feel really good about myself, I get motivated and I leave. You know, but it's, they're atheistic churches. They've got no concept of God. So atheism is huge and it's spreading rapidly and Christians are falling to atheism all the time. I've spoken to, I would estimate, 30 to 40 people on, online over the years who have just personally come to me, who were Christians, brought up Christian, lived as Christians for many, many years, even in adulthood, and then turned. Do you know anyone who was a Christian, grew up as a Christian, and has now turned to atheism? Yeah? I'm sure you've heard plenty of stories. So is atheism a threat to Christianity? Well, it's a threat to, it's a, certainly a threat to certain Christians, and it's certainly a threat to the eternal lives of multitudes of people who are in it, who are stuck in it, who see no other way, especially when their PhD. Their, uh, so their professors with PhDs, and etc., are telling them that atheism is truth. You know? So we're not only having to deal with just the average person who's an atheist, we're having to deal with the most educated people in our society also telling you you're an idiot to believe in God. You know, this is unprecedented, guys. This is a major threat. And, the, and they're vocal they're out there. They're teaching it in the textbooks. They're teaching it in the, in the classroom. And they've got the smartest, brightest students that are coming up and they're getting taught that. And so the brightest people in our society are becoming atheists. And what does the church do? Oh, we, we better not say too much. We don't want to threaten friendships. We better not go out and talk to people about it because it might be uncomfortable for them. We won't open our mouths. And so people are falling like flies to atheism. Who knows what I'm saying is true? Yeah. So I want to I equip you guys. I wanna, I'm doing it to equip myself because I've got to actually get more active in this, you know. I've got to basically kick myself on the behind and say, come on, just go out and do the commission. Get serious with God. Get serious. Get serious with your atheist friends. Not serious as in aggressively serious. Just get serious as in taking it very seriously. Pray about it. Pray about a certain friend that you want to talk to. And spend a lot of time in prayer and get the, this sort of information down in your heart. And then at the opportune moment say, look, can we meet for a coffee? I want to have, have a chat with you. And you know what? If a good mate will sit down and listen to you. And you've got to enter it in and you've got to explain why you're doing it. You know, and so this will hopefully help you. Uh, Matthew twenty-eight nineteen to twenty, and it says, "Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations. Therefore, go and make disciples. That's the commission. And it's not the commission just for me in this church that I've got to go and make disciples, and you guys have just got to come and you know keep the chairs warm on a Sunday. That's not the commission, is it? The commission is to all of us go and make disciples." of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, baptizing them in the name of the Trinity, 
and teaching them, teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you, which is what I do on a Sunday. Do I teach holiness? Do I teach doing the right thing? All that sort of stuff. That's what I, I do. I hope, I hope I do it well enough. And surely I will be with you always, even to the very end of the age. And there's the promise. When you go to do this, when you go to witness to an atheist and you prepare yourself in prayer, you prepare your heart, you prepare your motives, you prepare um, your, what you're going to say and you take it deadly seriously and you go and do it, he says, surely I'll be with you always. And he'll be with you and he'll empower you and enable you to reach your atheist friends. Isn't that beautiful? That's a great... Put up your hand if you know five people that you're close to that are atheists. Keep it up if you know 10. Keep it up if you know 15. Keep it up, guys. You, you know heaps. You know Greeks, mate. We know 50, 100, 200. All right, in the Greek family. We know that many atheists. It's not funny. They call themselves Greek Orthodox, but they're atheists as well, which is an oxymoron. But it's true. We know a lot, don't we? Could we do with preparing our hearts to tell them? Now, so we, we do it because we're commissioned to. We do it for the love of souls. You know, if we don't have it in our heart to tell someone about Jesus, it's because we don't have love for their soul in our heart. Because one day, if that person ends up in hell and you end up in heaven and you come to that place in Isaiah 66, uh, right at the end of the, of the passage of of. And it talks about a place in heaven where you will be told to go every Sabbath and you're going to have to look down into a pit and you're going to have to see the souls of those that had rebelled in ages past. And if, you're, if, you have not, if you have got no love in your soul, then one day you're going to have to look at your friends deep down in that pit for eternity, every, Sunday, every Saturday. For eternity, you're going to look and see potentially your friend that you could have witnessed to and you never did so if we're not telling people about jesus it means that we're the love for them is not true we might love them like you know you're a good mate have a lot of fun with you but you don't love them enough to risk all that to see that they don't go to hell and if you don't believe in hell then you have to question whether you've read the bible and whether Christianity has really taken a hold of your heart. Amen? We do it for the love of souls. We do it to please Jesus Christ. What did Jesus do to save them? Yeah, he died. The most torturous death. He didn't die in his sleep nicely like some people have the opportunity, you know, just die in your sleep. Oh, he passed away peacefully. No, Jesus didn't pass away peacefully. Jesus died the most horrific death. And all the while... He had you in his sights. He saw you on the cross. He looked and he saw in eternity, he saw you guys. And he said, I'm doing it for you guys. This is for you. And he's doing it for all of those that potentially will believe. So we do it to please Jesus because he, it pleased him and it pleased the Father to send Jesus to die for us. So we should be willing to lay down our life also. Amen. To build treasure in heaven. To build treasure. You know, when you save a soul, it's like treasure in heaven. You know? It's a, and it's a wonderful thing. And, and it's just, get this too, it's not just about saving the soul. When you make a disciple, then you've got to teach them 
as well. So you've got to make sure that they come to church. You've got to make sure that they live for Christ, that they're committed, and you've got to keep following them up to make sure they're staying the course. Do you know what I'm saying? So it's about keeping them in. It's about getting them saved and then keeping them saved as well. And you keep them saved by discipling them. Amen? So you don't just tell them about it and hope that they'll accept it. You know? Probably, I, I dare say that some of your closest friends and loved ones are atheists. Yeah? Some of the closest people in your life are atheists. Do you, if you really believe this, if you truly believe what Jesus said about hell, and the reason, if you really understood the cross, that the reason he died on the cross was to keep people from going to hell, if you really understood that, then you, you would probably want to tell everyone that's super close to you that, to believe in Jesus. Or you'd want to get them saved. you want to get them over to belief in God. you want to get them converted. Amen? Because you don't want to see your loved ones in hell. You, you, would, you would feel like you could never forgive yourself for eternity. Sure, Jesus will wipe away every tear. We'll, he, we'll move to a, a level of understanding that will be beyond guilt or anything like that in heaven, right? You won't have that. But if, if, if it was just like we are now, like uh, who was here and saw Sophie get up last week and talk about her friend who was a homosexual and he passed away a week before or uh, during the week and she rang me, she was in tears because she had opportunity after opportunity to tell this guy about Jesus and she didn't she didn't want to risk a friendship she didn't want to risk that relationship she had developed even though she knew he was steeped in sin she couldn't bring herself to doing it and now she regrets like you wouldn't believe the regret that she felt because this guy now where is he who fills the lake of burning sulfur homosexual offenders I don't care what the you know public opinion says anymore you know let us be politically incorrect homosexuals go homosexuals go to hell but not just homosexuals all liars all thieves all adulterers all everyone who doesn't repent because everyone is worthy of hell everyone not just homosexuals come on let's you know they tend to think christians are homophobic now, it's not homophobic got nothing to do with being scared of homosexuals it's the fact that Everyone who does not turn to Jesus Christ will go to hell. doesn't matter how good they think they are. Okay, so we, we do it to build treasure in heaven. We do it to bless the world that we live in. Why? Because if the world was filled with truly Christian people, like I've read stories and accounts of revivals that have taken place in like Wales, and, and during these revivals for the few years that they were on, the jails were empty the, the magistrates would sit and there was no um, cases to hear. No one did wrong. Because when the fear of God grabs a community, no one steals anymore. No one swears anymore. No one does anything wrong anymore. So why do we get people saved? To just to bless this world. To bless the city that we live in. To push back the forces of darkness, which is destroying our cities. We get people saved so that Satan has got one less person. Do you know what I'm saying? So Satan, it's one less in his kingdom. The kingdom of darkness. And it's one more for the kingdom of light. Amen. That's why we do it. That's why we tell people about Jesus. Using the video that we watched last week as a guide, and, and remember, this is just a guide. It might not work exactly like this 
every time you do it. And I'm sure it won't because if you're going to flow in the course of a conversation, um, there'll be a lot of times that you'll use different approaches. But as you, if you use this as a, as a basis, as a, as a blueprint, after much doing of it, you will get better and better and better at it and you'll get more and more comfortable with the process. But basically a good question is, are you an atheist? And this is what Ray Comfort started with. It was nearly the first question. Are you an atheist? And I like that because he didn't start with, do you believe in God? Because as soon as you say that, do you believe in God? That's a religious, a religious thing, isn't it? Does God exist? And then they start talking about the Bible. They start talking about all this other stuff. And you go, you go on a course that you don't really want to go to. So you start with, are you an atheist? And then when they say, yes, I am. So you don't believe in the existence of God. That's one alternative. That, that might not be a question that you want to put straight away because you might not want to bring God into it yet, even though atheism is non-belief in God. A lot of people will see it have a different, you know, um, in their hearts. It's, it's not a religious thing when you're an atheist. But as soon as you talk about the existence of God, they straight away think, oh, God. Okay, so that's religion now. So now he's, he's brought up a religious thing. So that second question, you might want to put a little note there. Only use that if you feel to use it, but at, at, at first, probably leave that one out. But it, is a, it can be a good follow-up question. And this is a good question. Probably I should have put this one second. When did you become an atheist? Or how long have you been an atheist? And then they will have to track back. And so what that makes them straight away do is they track back. Oh, yeah, I became an atheist when I was 15 years old and I was in this science class and my teacher was explaining evolution and it just occurred to me, oh, yeah, God is not real after all. So they'll realize that there was a moment in their life where they gave up God. So they did have a faith in God, and then they realized atheism. So that's interesting, isn't it? And that's why you ask that question, because you get them to trigger back, when did it start? When did this belief system start? Because they have to understand atheism is a belief system. And later on, if they don't admit it, because most of them will say, no, it's not a belief system. It's just we don't believe in God, so it's an anti-belief in God. But... When you, uh, there's a description of what an atheist is, atheists believe this, atheists believe that. Once you go and say these things, what atheists believe, then you can, they'll admit, okay, it is a belief system because I believe all these things to be so. Amen? So when did you become an atheist or how long have you been an atheist? What caused you to become an atheist? So what you're getting them to do is you're getting them to describe why they're an atheist, give, a, give a, you know, reasoning behind what they're doing. And in that, you get a, a real understanding of the strength of their convictions, which is a good thing. You, you start to understand where they're coming from. So you can sort of read them a little better than if you just dove in with your own philosophical statements to try to convince them that God is true. You get an idea of what they believe, how they believe, the strength of their convictions, the strength of their intelligence, etc you know is it a real scientific thing or is it just a um a denying of the spirit is it because they their father or mother got killed when they were young and there mustn't be god and you know there's a whole range of things that could cause a person to become an atheist so what caused you to become an atheist and then why are you an atheist today is a good one i thought i'd add why are you an atheist today 
is another great question because then they'll have to th they'll have to actually think about it. Well, well I'm an atheist, and, and you know, you could even add, you know, what does it do for you? Do you feel better about life now that you're an atheist? Add those in if you want. Um, does it fulfil you? Do you feel hopeful about the future being an atheist? You know what I mean? And these questions make prompts them to qu question their own philosophical background because a lot of atheists actually are suicidal. I've spoken to a number that actually th they don't see the reasoning for life, really. They'll love it. They'll love it. And you might be half an hour with the answers. You might be quite a while listening to them pour out on their convictions and atheism. And after that time, and while you're listening, make sure you really, really listen. Like, understand the track of, that they're on so that the Holy Spirit will give you things, you know, to trigger you with good responses. But what, what's best to do is to let them pour it out and finish rather than cut in on them with maybe some, they would say something and you go, oh, no, 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 I don't agree with, you know, you just better off not doing that. Let them pour it all out. Let them get it all out. And then at the opportune moment when it seems like they're just about done, that's when you come in with some more of this sort of stuff. So are you open to evidence? A great question. After all of that stuff is out of the way, now you know why they're an atheist, what caused them to become it, why they are today, how it has blessed them, if you don't use the word blessed, though, to an atheist, how it's, how it's improving their life, is atheism improving their life, etc. Then at that moment, you say something along the lines of, are you open to evidence for the existence of God? And if you could be given evidence would you listen to it now most atheists would say yes but you want to get them to that point because then they're going to want you to provide evidence all right so you've let them have a big long talk and when you go to provide evidence this is where it's really uh, when you go to provide the evidence for evolution uh, for creation um, if they start cutting in you can then say, hang on, just let me finish because I've just spent half an hour listening to you without interruption. Let me just finish my thing because it's always good. You, you, you need to make sure that they don't overtake the conversation. You could even remind them, I, I've invited you here to have this discussion. Can you let me just say these few things? Because some atheists get very, very intense and they want to do all the talking. Who knows what I'm talking about? Who's been in the experience? Yeah, who's had it? I have. Um, so you want to make sure that you just say it nicely and gently, you know, just let me finish because I just want to make sure you see the fullness of what I'm, uh, my reasoning from here. So the, the one thing that Ray Comfort did, and I thought it was a, a brilliant idea, he gave them a book to flick through, and he says, flick through the pages of the book and I'll ask you a question. Now this is the question he asked. You can say it in your own way. He says, do you believe that a book like this could happen by accident? that nothing produced the colour pictures, that they all just fell from nowhere and formed images, and then black ink fell from nowhere and formed words and sentences, capitals and periods and commas, all making sense, and then page numbers just fell from nowhere, all in order, and then it bound itself in a cover with artwork, and then we have a book. And you ask them, and they'll try to evade that, because they'll probably get an idea of where you're going with this, but you just say, hang on, just answer the question, could that happen by 
chance? Do you believe it could happen by accident? That this book could just fall out of the sky, fully formed and finished, colored pictures, everything, bound, beautiful, page numbers, ordered, makes coherent sense, everything. Could that happen by accident? Who, who remembers that part of the, the video? All right. Great question. You can make it up in your own way. You don't have to actually say it exactly like that, but I thought I'd use it if you want to um, print that out or uh, photograph that. And then you can say, obviously, intelligence was behind the formation of this book. And then you could even ask the question again, would that be correct? Would that be correct that intelligence is behind the formation of the book? And all these points, I'm, I'm wanting to dwell on them for you guys to really get it into you because if you can just... Just that point now, you've already got them thinking a little bit more because they're probably already relating it to what they've been taught about how we've all come about by chance and by accident. So that's already got them thinking. And you keep on questioning them back. Um, you could say that intelligence was behind the formation of this book. You can even use that regularly. Later on, if they say, you know, I'm still an atheist, say, so you believe the book formed itself. You believe the book made itself by chance. That's what you're saying when you're saying you're an atheist. And then and they'll be able to reflect back on that and go, yeah, that's what I'm saying. It doesn't make sense. It's incoherent. It's uh, foolishness to believe that. So you use this as your, in a sense, your trump card. Not the Donald Trump card, just the trump card. The DNA question. Then you ask them, what is DNA? How many of you, if you were asked what is DNA, could give a good explanation? Pretty good, pretty good. I won't put you on the spot, but yeah, you could probably put something together. Well, I've, just, I've got a few screens here for you to take photos. You don't have to memorize the wording. It's just good to study it. It's probably, if you want to win atheists, I reckon you should learn as much about the DNA as you possibly can. Read a book, buy a book on the DNA of the human body or the DNA of life and read it and get, un get an understanding to the point where you could blow people away with facts about DNA. You know, just little tidbits of information because you don't want to be too long on it. You don't want to spend the next half an hour talking about DNA. You just want to be able to give some punchy truths about DNA, don't you? Um, so you'd say, what is DNA? And then I'm just going to read some things about it. Uh, you don't have to memorize this. This is not... I'm not making it hard. I'm just giving you information that you can read. It's considered to be the instruction book of life. And, and when he says that, it's not um, uh, allegorical or it's not an analogy that it's like a book. It's actually very much a book, the way it's laid out in the chromosomes and the genes. So DNA is made up of genes, and genes give instructions to the cells as to how your body should grow. That book of instructions is so comprehensive that it makes the book that you are holding in your hand feeble in comparison. Bill Gates once said, DNA is like computer software, only far, far more advanced than any software ever created by man. Right, that's a good quote to know. That it's like computer software, just far more advanced. The oxyribonucleic acid, or DNA, is what scientists call the instruction book for life. That's punned by scientists. So it's not you're making it up, that it's a book of life. Uh, it's, it's, this is what scientists say. To liken DNA to a book is a gross understatement. 
the amount of information in the three billion base pairs in the DNA in every human cell is equivalent to that in a thousand books of encyclopedic science. So a thousand books of encyclopedic information is in one cell in your body. Isn't that just mind-blowing? Uh, yeah, well, every bit of information in the world today is like a, a, a drop in the bottom of a spoon. There's more information in that than in all the information gathered through all time on the planet in all history. So we're talking about a mind-blowing creation, uh, this, this substance that God made. It's absolutely mind-blowing, and it so speaks to intelligence that it's so mind-blowing that scientists go, wow, it's just, it just happened by chance. It just couldn't. There's no, there's no power on earth that great that could create that, or no power in the universe so great that could create that. It just is a spontaneous thing. It's a cop-out, in my opinion. It's scientists saying, I will not accept God no matter what, even if I have to believe foolishness instead. I won't accept God. So the amount of information in the three billion base pairs in the DNA in every human cell is equivalent to that in a thousand books of encyclopedic size. If the DNA instructions in your body's hundred trillion cells were put end to end, they would reach to the sun and back over 600 times. They are so complex and so comprehensive. Physical chemist Charles Thaxton explains that DNA consists of four bases that serve as the letters of genetic alphabet. They combine in various sequences to form words, sentences, and paragraphs. This how-to book can be read under a microscope, and its letters and words are organized into chapters. They can look under a microscope, and they can actually read it. It's readable. Isn't that fascinating? You know, when they broke into the tombs in Egypt and they found the hieroglyphics and stuff and then they worked out how to read it and they were like, mind blown, what's all written there and stuff. This is greater than that. To go down into the cell and go right down into the, the DNA and you, you break it all apart and you, we can read that. We understand what's actually there. It's an actual message. It's, this is incredible. It's, it's more um, evidence for God. So if you want to photograph that, you can. Just as in a book, these letters are grouped in a specific order to communicate a particular idea or task, these orders are written in the language that messenger ribo ribonucleic acid, mRNA, can understand. The mRNA knows where to bind to the DNA to make the gene's RNA copy by reading the DNA for the start point sequence, or word that is coded by the nitrogen basis. The instructions for synthesizing different proteins are organized in the DNA strand into chapters called genes. So they, they, these genes are like little chapters. Like a book, DNA's chapters are even ordered into book sections and are bound together. That's why they've called it a book, because the, the, these, this DNA binds together, it's bound. Chapters are bound in genes, and then the genes are bound together just like any instruction on how-to book found on, on your local, at your local library, the information held within a DNA molecule is organized into sections and can be broken down to letters that code for different commands depending upon their sequence. Keeping with the library book metaphor, DNA is also stored neatly into chromosomes with molecules similar to a book's binding. So similar to a book's binding. 
So this is scientists under the microscope. That's what they're witnessing, and that's how they describe it. So now, you, who among you would be able to talk about that in that set setting? You couldn't, could you? Like with those kinds of, that kind of information. But what you want to do is have at least a few bits of information to, to say just to spike the person's interest. So they go, wow, DNA is awesome. How clever is DNA? How brilliant, how much more advanced is DNA than anything that humanity has been able to invent or create? And as soon as they realize that, then you, you, you're, sort of, you're getting them there now. You're getting them over to belief in God, and we'll see how. So the next question would be, what would you think of the mentality of someone who believes that a book could make itself? If you... Remember the whole book thing. You gave them a book to read and the book's got ink and, and so on and all these pictures and you, you're just trying to say, for that to make itself, would you be a bit of... To think it made itself, you'd have to be a fool, wouldn't you? To think that the book just popped, out of, popped into existence all by itself. But what you... So you ask that question and anyone who's going to be genuine and truthful... And not afraid to admit they are wrong, especially in relation to God and, and there being no God, would say, no, a book could not make itself. And if someone, the mentality of someone who would uh, claim that would be, that'd be something wrong with them. Amen. You can see that. So that's what you try to get them to. Then the next question would be this. What would you think of the mentality of someone who believes that DNA could make itself? That DNA, which is... You know, how many millions of times greater than anything man could put into, into a book form? How, what's the chances that that could make itself? All right? Now, who knows the sequence now to this, to witnessing? The sequence now to witnessing is what? Who could say it? What do we start with? Are you an atheist? Great question. Why are you an atheist? When did you become an atheist? And what do you get from being an atheist? What has it done for you? Right? Then what's the next step? Who's got their notes? When, when and what and, 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 and all that sort of stuff. And then the next question is, if I could provide evidence that could prove that God exists, would you be willing to accept it? And so you get them to say yes. Now, in the moment they say yes, then you put a book in their hand. And then we go through what we've just gone through. Could that happen by chance? Could that just fall into place? Bound, coloured pictures, ink on the page, coherent, that you can read it, it means something, it tells you something, it gives you instructions, etc. Could that have just occurred by chance? And they'll go, of course, the answer is no. It couldn't fall into it. If they're not open to evidence, then, then that's a different line. of you, Then it's you wanting to convince them to try to become open. If they say no, that's a good point too. Yeah. Yeah. Well, another, another question at that point would be, does not truth mean anything to you? Isn't truth important in life? You know, so if you're not willing to be open to prove something other than what you believe, then you're, in a sense, you're being dogmatic. You know, so you can sort of get them over the barrel that way, but you've straight away, you know, you will get that too. You will get people that just don't want to hear anything else. 
yeah, and blow your mind with their answer, <laughs> happen by chance. You might not have to say anything about DNA. Go and book in with a professor who teaches about DNA at the Adelaide University and sit down with him and then ask him to tell you all about DNA. And then, because he's also done the book thing just before that, and then say, now, could that have happened by chance? Could that have just occurred? And so you get to these questions. What would you think of the mentality of someone who believes that a book could make itself? What do you believe of the mentality of someone who believes that DNA could make itself? So they're two really good questions. Do you believe that DNA just happened by accident? And then if they do believe it happened by accident, could you explain how it could randomly happen by chance from nothing? Because remember, they'll keep on saying, well, it came from this point. Yes, okay, but where did that come from? And they'll keep, we'll keep on going back until they get to nothing. And then it sounds totally ridiculous that everything that is came out of the nothing. And that's where we get to some... Um, questions about nothing, which is what was in the video as well. The DNA question continues, DNA exists in every living thing. Its origins don't matter, but the fact that there is intelligent information tells us that there must be an intelligent designer. And then he said, is this making you think? So the fact that there's intelligent information speaks of an intelligent designer. Just like there's intelligent information in a book, it speaks of an intelligent author. Yeah. So you, you, you just keep going down that road of logic because this, and, it, and funnily enough, it's not how um, most people think because they're not trained to think this way. In science class, they're trained to, to look up on the board and study and learn and so that they can answer the exams, uh, questions to do with the information that they're looking at. Whether it's true or not a lot of the time is beside the point. You have to answer it according to what you're getting taught and if you learn it and commit it to memory and whatever else, you can answer your questions and pass the exam. Uh, now, science boasts itself. One of the things about science is it boasts itself on changing uh, their opinion on things and that the answers are constantly changing. So a true scientist would be open to evidence and a true scientist would be open to be challenged. Um, in the real world, if that, does that play out? Not really. Not in most cases, because a lot of the scientists, the atheist scientists that I've seen online in debates, they get quite, you know, quite testy when, when it comes to the question of God. And the reason it is, th this is, is because it's, it's a twofold reason. One is, if God exists, they're accountable. If God exists, that means that they've got to change because they're accountable to a holy God, an intelligent God, a God that um, is just and right, a God that will condemn the sinner for sin right so does that make someone uncomfortable yeah makes christians uncomfortable enough of the time as well to actually keep us from sinning but it's an uncomfortable thought so a lot of people don't want that the other reason is because of the spiritual forces of evil that control this world when someone starts getting challenged with the with the god hypothesis evil spirits that are ruling people start to show their ugly heads. And that's why a lot of the time it can end up in terrible arguments. And the man, man or, you know, I've had arguments with some people just like they get ferocious in, in retaliation against the concept of God. And uh, so that's what we're dealing with. That's why it's important that we pray. 
You know, you can't come out and do this. You can't just come out off your back. If you're not, not praying and you're not really, really seeking God to help you and give you the wisdom to actually reach someone with this kind of knowledge, um, if, you, if you go out there cold turkey sort of thing, you, you're going to get, you know, bombarded in this, from the spiritual dimension because the spirits of evil in the heavenly realms are going to come against you big time. Who's, who's experienced that? Yeah? How many, honestly, how many? Just shake your head if you have, if you've experienced it. How many of you have witnessed, actively witnessed for Jesus? How many of you have told your friends, like actually intended in your heart to go and tell your friends about Jesus? How many? Yeah, a number of you. Do you think, do you think you've, uh, in, in relation to that, do you think God wants you to do it more? Do you think God wants you speaking to you about telling people about Jesus? Or at least getting them to believe in God? Do you think that's the call of a Christian? Do you think that's what it's all about? Yeah. Why else are we Christian? That's the question. Are we just here to look good? You know? <laughs> we're just here to be the smoothest people on earth? Why else are we Christian? Why else? What else has God got us here for? You know? There's, there's, look, there's a lot of superfluous things that we, we're, you know, we're supposed to be a blessing to our families. We're supposed to be look after our children, but everyone has to look after their children, whether they're Christian or not. The Hindus can be good parents, can't they? The Muslims can be good parents. Atheists, I, I grew up under atheist parents, are great parents. So you can love your children. Why? Because love exists. So you love your children. You know? So is it because are we to, are we becoming Christians so that we can become better parents? Are we becoming Christians to be better spouses? You know, because I know plenty of non-Christian people who are fantastic couples, make great spouses. You know, is it for that? Are we Christian so that we can um, make situations happy and blessed? You know, we're supposed to be peacemakers, aren't we? We're supposed to bring peace. We're supposed to do all the right things and, and, and all that. But how many atheists can do that? So what is the differentiating factor, the thing that differentiates us from every other person on the face of the earth? Why are we Christian? Why did God choose us to believe? I think it comes down to the Great Commission. He chose us to go and bear fruit. He chose us to go and make disciples. He chose us to go out and reach people with the gospel. That's the only reason you're Christian, apart from the fringe benefits Go into heaven and all those wonderful things and God can use you to heal people and there's a whole lot of other things. But you think about it deeply enough, you'll realize the very thing I'm put here on this planet to achieve is to see people coming to know the Lord. Is to see people coming to know the Lord. If you think, hang on Rob, you're probably a bit you know, off the mark here. I probably am in some respects. I probably am. There's probably a lot of other things I have possibly overlooked. But the one thing I know is there is a great commission, and it is to make disciples. If Jesus was here right now, and he is, but if he was here in person, like actually standing right here, do you think he would be agreeing with me right now? Do you think he would be saying to you exactly the same thing that he said to his disciples just before he left? Do you think that's what he'd be saying? Do you think Jesus would not be saying to you, you know, get out there, 
and tell them I exist. Tell them I'm coming. Tell them. Let them know that I'm about to get on my horse and come back to planet Earth. Get them saved. Get people saved. Do it desperately. Tell them, tell them, tell them. You're my people. You're the only people that I have to speak through on this planet. You're my ambassadors. You're my ministers of reconciliation, reconciling man to God. That's your job. Get out there. Reconcile people to me. Bring them to me. Pray and get them saved. And work towards it with all your heart. Make it your priority. Make it the thing you live for above all else. Above all else. There's a lot of other things we live for, but put this way at the top. And it, it, you'll only be, and I've said this many times, you'll only be 10 minutes, 5 minutes, 10 minutes in heaven, and you'll realize, wow, I wish I lived for God, like Rob talked about in this sermon. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? If you don't, change. But if you change and start to do it, this is the other thing. Everyone that I've talked to that actually tells people about Jesus and gets people saved say it's the most thrilling thing they've ever experienced in their life. You know, when I brought Matthew to the Lord years and years ago, it was the most thrilling moment in my life. You know, it was just a wonderful thing to see someone come from, you know, come out of the darkness into the light. And he's looking at me going, this makes sense. And I go, Really? <laughs> I was a little bit of a, you sure? Yeah. Tell me a bit more about this Jesus guy. And I told him a little bit more, and he goes, really? Um, I want to receive Jesus. Oh, oh, I want to live for this guy. Have you got a Bible? And I'm, yeah, I've got a Bible. Here's a Bible. I had a Bible ready for him, and away you went. You know what I mean? It was a wonderful experience. Like, I tell you, if you do it a couple of times, you'll get addicted. You'll want to bring everyone to the Lord. You'll be booking in appointments with people that you know. You'll be saying, oh, I want to meet, I've got something really important to talk to you about. And you'll be so confident that they won't walk out on you and think you're an idiot because of your approach, because you've done your homework, because you have a, a distinct way you're going to do it. And it's non-offensive. Actually, it'll get them to talk about spiritual things at a level they've never done it before and they'll feel so released you know, if you ask a person, why are you an atheist? And they spend the next half an hour telling you why and what and, and all that. And then suddenly you hear spiritual elements coming in and suddenly they'll start talking about God and, and then they'll start solving their own problems. And you'll think, God, you're doing this. You're working them through the whole sequence of themselves just because I'm an open ear and this guy wants to talk to me about his... He once loved God and now he doesn't and now... and. But, you know, lately I've been wondering, you know, does God really exist? And, and, you know, my atheism, I don't know, it's shaking in its boots, you know. And you're sort of sitting there watching it take place because you had the guts to ask the question. And isn't it good to know that you can sit down and know what to ask? That you don't sit down and wonder, what shall I ask? I want to get onto a conversation about God, but I don't know how. And once they get onto that conversation, I don't know where to go from that point. And it all just falls, goes pear-shaped, and the whole thing just doesn't work. All right, so I'm going to, what I've, I've decided I'm going to do for a while, and I think it's important because I don't, I don't know of many places we can go to actually get trained in this. 
um, is I'm going to be working through how to bring atheists to Jesus. I will be doing a sermon on how to bring Muslims to Jesus, how to bring Hindus, how to bring Buddhists, how to bring Jehovah Witnesses. Who's had a Jehovah Witness knock on the door? And wouldn't it have been great to have a, a layout, an approach that you could have used, that orderly approach that you could have got them to realize that Jesus is God and, and that you know, Jehovah Witnesses is a cult because you've studied the progression because there's some brilliant books done on it. There's some brilliant books out there. There's some brilliant information. And so what I want to do is I want to c- get all this information and bring it to you over time. So try not to miss this because I, I really feel it's going to be a blessing to you. It's going to help you to um, see some things take place in your life that are going to be absolutely mind-blowing. Amen. Who, who would love to bring someone to Jesus? Put up your hand. Let's see a show of hands. Who would love to have someone that you really, really, you know, you're endeared to, you know they're a hardened atheist, and suddenly you're speaking to them and you bring them all the way over to belief in God and then all the way over to belief in Jesus Christ, and the next thing you know they're saying the sinner's prayer with you and they're turning their hearts over to Jesus. Wouldn't that be incredible? Wouldn't that be incredible? Do you believe it's possible? Yeah. Do you believe the Holy Spirit could work in you in that way? Could the Holy Spirit use you to do that? Now, compare that with anything else in life, any other thrill in life. Could there be anything more thrilling than knowing that now a person is not going to go to hell for eternity but come to heaven to be with Jesus forever? Could there be anything greater than achieving that? You might not think so. You might think abseiling's a bigger buzz. You're right? But when you get to heaven, are you going to be worried about abseiling? Actually, I will abseil in heaven. That's the only place I'm going to do it. But you get to heaven and you look over and there's, there's someone that you brought to the Lord. And then you look over, there's someone else you brought to the Lord. Wouldn't that be incredible? And you look at your loved ones, you know, your kids that don't know Jesus. Have you got children that don't know Jesus, anyone? You know, and suddenly, because you spoke to them, because you went out on a limb, now that person's standing next to you in heaven. Your, your daughter or your son or your brother or your sister or your mother or your father is now standing in heaven and they turn around and say to you, if it wasn't for you, I'd be over there in that pit. What would that do for you? When you see the reality of the eternal abyss and you go over to that place and you look down and you see the souls there and you turn around and you see all the people you brought to the Lord, wouldn't you be thankful? Wouldn't you be thankful that Rob brought this up in church and you responded and you said, you know what, I'm going to go for it. You know, I'm a nice person. I won't say it harshly. I won't be rude. I won't be offensive. If they say, look, I definitely do not want to talk about it, no matter what, you can say, okay, I respect that. But I believe if you time it, you use, use the right moments and you get the right situation and you go out and you, you plan you know, to have a nice meal with them in a restaurant or something and you pick a quiet restaurant, don't pick those noisy ones, get a nice place, get a nice pl- uh, spot, or you might say, let's go for a walk down in Glenelg, sit by the beach with a cup of coffee or something, 
You, you know what I mean? You go and you, you get the environment right. There's a guy that I, I'm still working on and I'm trying to bring to the Lord. And he's been a work in progress because he's an advanced a scientist at an, um, doing a double degree in science. You know, you, you guys know who I'm talking about. Well, it was a couple of Christmases ago because I really, we, we had a few discussions in, in, in my piano lessons, but I, um, I thought, oh, look, I'm, I'm not going to talk about this in piano lessons because piano lessons soon disappear. Your, your time's up and you haven't done any piano. All you've done is talked about, you know, God. So I said to him, look, we won't talk about it in lessons anymore, even though we still do. Um, but uh, I'll meet you in Glenelg and I'll give you a call during the school holidays. And this guy was like 18 or 19 or whatever he was then, or probably 18 then. Anyway, I met him in Glenelg and I, we grabbed a coffee and we walked along, you know, the grass strip with the big pine trees there? And I walked along there and we found a nice spot where we just sat down. Anyway, for the next two hours, I let him have it. And, and he was gracious, he was letting me have it too. And it was, um, actually, I tell you what, I, I don't know how anyone could have rejected the existence of God after that because I, I poured it all out and he still stuck to his guns that's how strong they are um but it was a wonderful experience because we walked away we were still laughing and there was no problem he didn't have any issue he didn't think anything less of me he actually if anything he says you know what i have to admit um uh, there's some brilliant arguments that they are brilliant arguments they're very scientific and you've got just as much reason to believe it as i think i have reason to believe the other way so he didn't think i'm a fool um, blind faith kind of guy. He thought, yeah, no, these were sensible arguments. And they challenged him. And, uh, and Luch was commenting on a, a video that I just put up last night or the night before last. Um, clearly seen. Do you remember I did that sermon? Clearly seen. Unfortunately, the audio of that sermon didn't get picked up from my computer, so we only had the uh, room audio from the camera. So it's a little bit hard of hearing. But Luch was saying how how much he liked it. And after he, he and I thought, okay, I'm going to send that video to the guy I'm just talking about um, uh, to check it out. And I said to him to, you know, watch it through because I mentioned him in that sermon. So I said, I've mentioned you in the sermon. Make sure you watch it. So it, was, it got him to watch it. So um, is it important that we do this sort of thing? Yeah. Look, the church is meant to save people. The church is meant to get people saved. So I think uh, a lot of the gatherings of the early church, they would have sat around talking about the threats to Christianity, the threat, threats to faith in God and, and agnosticism and, and um, I, I meant to say Gnosticism, which is different to agnosticism. And I was, uh, there was other threats of atheism, but different kind of atheism. The Christians were actually called atheists back then. Did you know that? Back in the 1st and 2nd and 3rd century, the Christians were called atheists. And you know why? Because they didn't believe in the emporium of gods that the Romans believed in. And they only believed in one god. So they were called atheists because denying the existence of the gods. Yeah, so that's maybe something you could use in, in your uh, witnessing. All right, I'll just finish this one screen and then I'll, I'll wrap it up because a few of you are looking a bit uncomfortable in your seats there. Now, is this complicated? You would say to someone, DNA is complicated. Is DNA complicated? It's, it's complicated. But the point I'm trying to make is simple. Book, bookmaker, DNA, DNA maker, or intelligent designer. That's the point. Yes, DNA is complicated, but that's not what we're arguing. 
or even discussing. It's not what we're discussing. Try not to use the word arguing. That's not what we're discussing. DNA is complicated, but that lends itself to the need of an intelligent designer because it's so complicated. It's too complicated to spontaneously come into existence. Amen? So bookmaker, uh, book, bookmaker, DNA, DNA maker. Very good points to keep, keep in your bag. And there is one more paragraph. Every form of life, not just humans, require a DNA book of life. Cats, dogs, fish, birds, insects, trees, plants, actually every living cell requires a unique DNA code. Could that happen by chance? Could all of these things happen by chance? And, and I've got a lot of other things coming up which talks about, and I'll, I'll do that in future sermons, which talks about um, uh, not only did, say, a cat have to evolve uh, slowly over many millions of years to become the cat, but a perfect mate had to also evolve so that they could propagate and have more babies. You know what I mean? So, And how long did that cat have to wait until its mate came up on the beach with it? So the cat just laid there going, oh man, where's my friend? <laughs> a couple of million years waiting for my female to arrive. Then the female arrived, oh, you don't have the proper sexual parts yet. We'll have to wait another million years. You know, what happens with time to life forms? They perish, don't they? They die. They die. So while the cat is waiting for its perfect partner, it will die. And what about if it climbs up out of the primordial soup and, and it looks over and there's nothing to eat? Because mice haven't, been created, uh, haven't climbed out yet. That's what they say. No, the mice came first. But what about cheese? Was cheese created for the mice to eat? Or whatever mice eat. Do you know what I'm saying? So all the plants aren't there. So all the birds of the air don't have things to... You know what I mean? They all have to evolve. Which ones evolves first? And then if you think about it even like this as well, if, if it's true that we evolved from a simple single cell and that cell multiplied and became something and then it keep on going like that, right? Which came first? The heart? The circulatory system, which system came th first, the, the muscular system or the skeletal system? And what would the muscular and skeletal system do if there was no circulatory system, if that hadn't evolved yet? If, and all these things require to be there at once for it to work and have life. If, then, if one thing isn't there, if one system isn't there, it dies. And then it would only live a certain period of time for its mate to come up as well, so... You know, you might have a perfectly formed man, which was just about impossible to happen, and that man's hanging around no woman. Do you know what I mean? So evolution doesn't account for those, those kinds of things. So if the man doesn't have a heart, he won't pump his blood and he will die. So th then the scientists say, well, it didn't work like that. Well, how did it work? It must be all there or nothing. Well, it just happened all at once then. And no, 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 that's the Genesis account. That's what we believe. You can't believe that because that's what we believe. We believe God formed the man, Adam, complete, finished, everything in its place. Hearts, lungs, muscles, nervous system, skin system, everything is there. It's, he was laying on the ground and then he breathed life into him and he stood up on his feet. That's what we believe, right? So evolutionists have a big dilemma in accounting for 
those millions of years, which will always bring death. Millions of years. If something climbs out, half formed, it will die. If, if a cell is just actually, if a cell is just left in this primordial soup on its own, it will die. Cells left on their own in a science laboratory die straight away. They have to use highly advanced, you know, technical equipment to keep them alive. All right? So everything about the evolution theory is, is ridiculous. So what I'm trying to furnish you with is as much of this sort of stuff, much of this kind of thinking, so that your mind just thinks that, that way. So when someone's trying to bring up, any point they bring up, you're, you can just go, no, 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 that can't be because of this. Have you thought about that? Have you thought how many millions of years a, ma a male has to lay on the beach until the female comes along? And what's going to happen to that man for a million years without the female? That male will perish. Amen? Last chapter. Isaiah 66. Oh, shall we turn there just to read a bit of scripture? Verse 22, and it says, As the new heavens and the new earth that I make will endure before me, declares the Lord, so will your name and descendants endure. From one new moon to, the, to another and from one Sabbath to another, all mankind will come and bow down before me, says the Lord. And they will go out and look upon the dead bodies of those who rebelled against me. And where, this is where Jesus got that, that famous saying, where their worm will not die, nor will the fire be quenched. And they will be loathsome to all mankind. So from one new moon to another and from one Sabbath to another, all mankind that is alive in heaven will go out and look upon dead bodies in hell or in the lake of burning sulfur of those who rebelled against Jesus. And people say, why would God allow that to take place in heaven? Actually, most Christians don't know that's even in the Scriptures. It, they, they sort of, if they've read it, it's, they glossed over it in their Bible reading plan and they didn't quite get what was said there. I believe for God to keep his people um, living completely sold out to him forever and ever and ever and ever and ever and never lose, their, uh, never lose that place in heaven, that God set this up so that they would have to, on a, on a weekly basis, every Sabbath, which is Saturday, every Saturday, the, the, all of the saved saints in heaven would have to come out and look upon those in the lake of burning sulfur. They would have to gaze upon the dead bodies of those that had rebelled. And I believe there's a reason. It's to keep them still in the midst of this glorious majesty of God and the love of God and all the beautiful blessings from God. They can look down and go, I still fear God. I haven't lost my fear of God because I don't want to go there. And wouldn't that keep you honest for the next week? Look down there and, you know, that's what... Um, uh, trying to think of who was the guy Salvation Army Booth William Booth William Booth said if, if it, when he prepared someone for the ministry and he got them ready to start the church or go on a missionary trip he said if I could just dangle them by their feet over hell for one week that would that would be ready <laughs> you know dangle them over hell let them look at hell and see it in, in its in, in its it's a, the most dreadful place you can imagine you couldn't imagine a worse place to spend eternity. Just look upon hell and you'll never be the same again. You couldn't continue your current lifestyle 
again, you would have to live for God. You'd have to spend every waking breath poured out into getting people saved, to getting people into the kingdom. Amen? And it's the truth. It's in the scriptures, isn't it? All right, let's pray. Thank you, God. Thank you for this time, Lord. Thank you for bringing these wonderful people. Um, Lord, I just uh, thank you that you've given me the honor of being able to minister to them, and I pray that they will just continue to grow stronger and stronger in you, that your word will um, be a lamp unto their feet, and that they'll be guided and directed by your spirit each and every day, that no one here will fall from grace. No one here will walk away from the faith, but every person here will live for you and devote their souls to you, and that they'll... Um, live to serve you in every way, shape, and form. And I pray that you help all of them, Lord, to uh, get a love of souls, to get a willingness to reach out to people that they know um, have rejected you. And, uh, Lord, that you'll give them the gift of, of uh, witnessing, the gift of evangelism to be able to bring someone to Jesus. I pray that every single person in this room gets blessed with the opportunity and the uh, wonderful um, uh, thing of or the outcome of seeing someone giving their lives to Jesus. So I pray that everyone here, Lord, will have that opportunity to see one, someone getting saved as they witness to them, as they tell them about you in a way which uh, can't be denied. So I pray for your blessing on them and help them in their life in, in that way, but also help them in every other way in their workplace, in their relationships, in um, everything that they do in their financial situations, in their health um, and well-being. And Lord, I pray for every area of their life that you will look into their lives and help them to get through all the things that they call out to you for. And I pray this in the wonderful name of Jesus. And I just pray that you also bless those that haven't, weren't here today, that, they would, uh, that you would just bless them as well, Lord, and bring them safely back next week. And uh, uh, just so just keep with us and stay with us and help us and direct us in uh, each and every day by the in the name of Jesus I pray this amen, amen.